you do need to learn how to network both online. And again, if you're in a very small town, where are you making sure people can see what you are doing? Where are you making sure that people can find you? Because people are already looking for you. And I think that's something I always tell my clients is like, how would you show up if you knew people were already looking for you? Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got crash plan smart recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. CrashPlan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today on the podcast, I have Harriet Hadfield with over 15 years of experience working as a celebrity makeup artist on the red carpet and with the biggest names in beauty with clients like Naomi Watts, Doja Cat, and Olivia Rodrigo. Harry saw firsthand how creative freelancers so desperately needed support and guidance when it came to building a business that made them money and a lot of it. Tired of that starving artist narrative and the common misconception that freelance goes hand in hand with sacrifice, Harry made it her mission to empower creative freelancers with the tools and strategies to step into their CEO role, book celebrity clients, and global brands without needing an agent or relying on word of mouth. In today's episode, we are digging into what that journey looks like. How did she get started? How did she go from freelance to booking celebrity clients? How is she generating more capital on Instagram than she ever was with an agent? all while respecting the true creative that she is, someone who claims to be neurodivergent and really making sure her business is accommodating her and the way she wants to be showing up in the world. If you identify as a creative or a creator, then today's episode is going to be particularly special. And if you're looking for real inspiration on how you can go from small town to big leagues, this is the episode for you. I can't wait for you to dive in. Hey, Harry, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited you're here. I don't think you realize, but we get hundreds of guest episode requests, and I am incredibly picky. But when yours passed my desk, I was like, this girl has got it going on. And I am very excited to dig in today. Your prestige and your background kind of proceeds. You've done some incredible things. So I'm really excited to have you here. I would love for you to give a little bit of background though. Like how did you end up as a celebrity stylist, makeup artist, and what kind of brought you into this realm? Really great question. And I'm like, okay, where do we start? I think I was always the kid that was like, I wanted to do everything. I was like, I want to work with dolphins. I want to be a designer. I want to do this, like anything creative. I was always the kid that was like collecting the cereal boxes to make something. And I remember my mum had a book for Christmas by this very famous makeup artist called Kevin Aquan. And I remember 
seeing this book and it was like all these amazing transformations. Now, keep in mind, this is before YouTube, before Instagram, before the internet, as we know it. And I remember being like, wait, that's a job. Like, this is a thing. Like, you can actually be a professional at this. I think I was about 12, maybe 14 when I saw this. And I was like, I can't describe it, but something in me clicked. And I was like, that's what I meant to do. That's it right there. I mean, I remember going to like the local market where you could buy really cheap, crappy makeup for like 99 cents and being like this gold lipstick, this is something I'm going to mix into makeup. And it really just was like all in once it clicked for me that I realized that was even possible. Oh, I love that for you. I definitely remember as a kid feeling really drawn to more of like the hair side of things. And I really, really wanted to go to cosmetology school. I was so all in and I didn't have the support of my parents. Like that was the plan for me. (laughs) And they were like, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist. And then my compromise was going to art school. So like, I mean, I kind of loosely followed the plan, but you know, I was super attracted to it as well and had so much fun. And I, I remember early on having a book that taught you how to braid, like you said, before YouTube, because there was nothing out there. (laughs) My mom was the biggest tomboy. She didn't wear makeup. Her hair was cut short and I was teaching myself everything. And so I totally relate to that story, but it sounds like you got a lot of support at home. Was it something you started right away after you finished school? I think it was one of those things where back then there wasn't courses like there are now. So even the idea of going to say like study makeup was still like you said something you did in books or like an extracurricular that you would, I don't know, find you'd hear about someone glamorous doing it in Hollywood. It seemed very exclusive and very like, how do you even get into this industry? Because there wasn't the same I guess, availability of ways into the industry that there is today. So I feel like it really was, okay, whose face can I practice on for want of a better word, which more times than not was my sister, bless her heart. So it was like, come here. I want to try this. I want to do this thing. And I remember just getting like Vogue magazines. My mum had collected Vogue's and it was like, again, I didn't even really understand lighting at this point or, you know, Photoshop was in it. I think, I don't know the full origins of like how far back Photoshop goes, but obviously it wasn't then what it is today. So there was an element of like, okay, cool. I can practice this. I can try this. And I think I found a makeup course in like the nearest city that was a little bit like, it was more like makeup, beauty and special effects. It was a little bit of everything rolled into one. And for me, that was as good as it got. I was like, okay, that sounds like I would be on the right track doing that. I definitely identify with what you were saying. And I think a lot of people will identify with the reason that the reality that when you're a creative, you are often like the black sheep of the family. Like if you have family members who are in a salary job or had dreams or hopes for you of being the doctor or the lawyer or whatever we heard, right? It's like, you really have to have your own back with that because I left school in England. You can leave school at 16. I did one extra year. We have kind of like, I think we call it a sixth form, which is like a little bit extra you can do, but you don't, you can technically leave school at 16 in England. And I found this college and my school was like, no, you need the backup plan. You need, it was very much like, what are you doing? This isn't safe. And I was just like, every moment I'm here that I don't have to be, 
I'm further away from my dream. Like, I think that was something I was really aware of was I've done what I need to do. I've graduated, I've finished and the pull was so strong. So again, when you say, what was I doing? It was literally like, okay, how many school plays (laughs) can I do makeup for? Like how many of the things that there's the very small opportunities and even the word opportunity, I saw it as like, well, I can practice. This is good for me to like learn my craft, but there was no one to teach me until I went to that community college. So that was the first time I actually was like, you know, I was like, tell me what I need to do. Tell me how high to jump. Like I'm going to be the person that gets there early, that stays late. Like I was so into it and, you know, doing things like work experience back then, like which I now think of as the same as assisting, right? It's like you take any opportunity where maybe it was the local theater. It wasn't necessarily the things I wanted to do, but because I was so hungry, I just said yes to everything. Yeah, I totally resonate with the saying yes to everything. When I started my design career, that was what I was doing too. I mean, I was saying yes to jobs that made no sense with the goals or trajectory I had for myself. But you are excited. And I think that's something that really shows up in your work even now. What do you feel like was the kind of catapult though for you? Like you take everything and you're doing it all. And then like, when do you think things switch gears? I think, like I said, back when I was a child, like I'd always had these very all or nothing moments of being in on everything for like a few weeks. And I'd be like, now I want to learn how to ride a horse. Now I want to work with dolphins. There was always like something changing. But makeup became the consistent. It became the thing that I was like, oh, no, I really am all in on this. And I think the biggest turning point for me was moving to London. I'd done a lot in my small town, like as much as I could. And I think for me, what I craved was being around other creatives who were passionate and driven. I definitely, where I lived, again, most people were going for the nine to five corporate job or trying to go to university to, you know, do, I want to be clear, some of them did want to be lawyers and doctors, but I also saw a lot of friends who were doing what their parents wanted them to do. And I knew I didn't fit in that box. So I was like, okay, I want to find other people who think like me. And I want to find other people who want this too. So moving to London more than anything was the first time I was able to experience things like working at London Fashion Week, working on much bigger campaigns or things that were at the level where baby Harry was like, oh my gosh, this is real. You can actually do this. It sort of, it felt close are more tangible and again I think this is the cool thing about today like you don't have to move to London anymore to be successful but back then there was no other way like when I first started out and I think being in that city for me I'm from the countryside originally so it was incredibly exciting being surrounded by culture being surrounded by history and ultimately I did meet a lot of people who had that same hunger and that same drive who had also come from small towns who were just so excited to be there yeah I know a lot of people that feel like they have to move to LA or New York or London or Paris to like get their career off the ground. And I agree with you that 15 years ago, that may have been true, but this online world is wild and changed everything. (laughs) It absolutely has. Like the ways I get clients now, the way I've grown my business now, it is just so wildly different than the beginning of my career. And so if someone were starting today, where would you tell them to go? Like, is it building up a channel on YouTube? Is it creating content? Is it, you know, saying yes to those local gigs? Where would you tell them to start? 
Such a good question. Again, I think because of the internet, I think you need to be visible. I think because of the amount of artists there are now, a lot of people freak out about that. But I'm like, for every artist there is, there's like 100 clients. So there's enough work to go around. I think starting point is, are you visible? So I would say, where can you use social media to help you? Again, when I was starting out, I had an 11 by 14 book where each photograph in it cost me 50 pounds to print. It was extortionate, given that I wasn't even earning money back then. And now you can have your images on an iPad. You can have them on your website. Like, again, I think about things like Squarespace, like websites that you can set up by yourself very efficiently. But when I think about your ideal client, for want of a better word, for as creative, where are they already looking for you? So if you're a makeup artist, you do need to learn how to network both online. And again, if you're in a very small town, where are you making sure people can see what you are doing? Where are you making sure that people can find you? Because people are already looking for you. And I think that's something I always tell my clients is like, how would you show up if you knew people were already looking for you? So yes, it could be a YouTube channel. I think even just Instagram or TikTok or something like that. Again, when you're creative, what we do is very visual. So we don't really need a CV. We don't need like a written document that says what we've done. Clients don't care how many certifications you've done. They care about what you can do. They want to see your style and they want to see a lot of repetition of that. So they know exactly why they would be booking you. So my first piece of advice would be where can you utilize some kind of online platform to make sure people A, can find you and people can see why they should book you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that really applies to a lot of different types of businesses. I I think you bring up a good point that play like your client and where would you search for that kind of service or opportunity or whatever. And I think about the last time I hired a photographer and a videographer, I was literally searching Instagram and I was like, photographer Kansas City, videographer uh, brand Kansas City, like, you know, whatever. And I was looking at people's work and trying to assess like, does their style match the vibe I'm going for? And are we going to resonate personality wise? And I was making all of these decisions ahead of reaching out, ahead of making the next step. And so I think the same is true across many different industries. And, you know, back in the day, like I definitely got clients without having a fully fleshed out portfolio because a lot of the work I was doing was not the work I wanted to keep doing. So I was trying to show what are the creative things I'm also working on that wasn't necessarily my hired work because I wanted to show more of the kinds of things I wanted to book. And so, you know, regardless of what you're selling, being sure to share the kind of things that you want to be doing more of, I think is really key. But how did it go from just putting your work out into the world to booking celebrities? Because I feel like that's a really big leap. Yes, Fashion Week is such an incredible opportunity. And you've gone on to book some of the craziest, I mean, not crazy, but like these are like household names. Like these are big brands that our audience has heard of. So how did you make that leap? 
So I have a concept called the one image. And my belief is that every creative has, whether it's one image, one video, one piece of evidence that can be the thing that brings in so much income for you. So for example, there was an image for me that I realized very early on I'd created where clients kept referencing. Clients were like, can you do what you did here? Oh my God, I love what you did here. And it helped me really kind of shape my style. And what I did from that image was realize, okay, this is what A, I feel very aligned with. This is the direction I want to go in. And my clients are vibing with it. Like you were just, you were saying, like, I was looking for people. I knew exactly what I was looking for. There was this kind of identity mesh of me and my clients. And what I did was create more of that. So when it came to getting in with the publicist, with the celebrities, the person you have to get in with is their team and one of those people will be their publicist. So when it comes to being able to book things like celebrity clients, you need to know first how to find those people. So something we teach in my programs is not just how you approach them or what you would say to get in with them and what you need to show them, but where to even find them. Because again, even with the internet as it is now, there's still a lot of secrecy, I think, within creative industries, a lot of gatekeeping of like, okay, there's not enough success for all of us. So (laughs) I want to make sure that like the pool of success doesn't like if I'm successful, it'll take away from you type thing. (laughs) I think there's a lot of that belief. So the doors stay very closed. And I think people are very guarded. But that's kind of why I created my programs because using this one image concept, it will you will know how to pitch. So another skill that I got really good at from using my one image was being able to pitch to publicists. So Pre, I would say like 15 years ago, again, the narrative wasn't just that you had to live in London or LA or Paris or somewhere like that. You also had to have an agent to get in with celebrities. So there was a sense of a lot of boxes that had to be ticked for you to be considered. Again, the internet has changed all that because I also think as artists now, not only you're a real business, but you're also a brand in your own identity, right? So like when you really understand your brand and what you're representing, again, it's about these identities lining up. So the clients you're trying to target, the people you want to book, is your brand in alignment with theirs, for want of a better word. So it comes back to this one image. Can you first of all identify what image has got you work already? Like I would say to anyone who's watching this, if you're looking to increase your bookings or you're looking to target a specific ideal client or clientele, do you know what's getting you booked currently? Like a lot of my clients will come to me and be like, I have no idea. And I'm like, okay, first of all, we need some feedback. Like for me, the turning point was really understanding that, for example, I'd be on a shoot and the mood board would be my work. Like the mood board would be people booking me based on, oh, I could see straight away. Okay, it's that eyeshadow look I did. That's why they booked me. I just need to do more of that and really increase that repetition because that's what I'm becoming known for. And to be very clear, it felt very in line with where I wanted to go. But the same thing happened with celebrities. I'd be in the room with them and they'd be like, can you do this on me? The thing you did here, can you do? And oftentimes it was things I'd done on myself. So again, I think as someone who's, looking to make that pivotal step in your career, it's first of all, letting go of all the narratives you've been told of how it's meant to look. So letting go of the belief that you have to have an agent or you have to have a million followers on Instagram. Again, that's not true. I moved to LA from London with probably less than like 
20,000 Instagram followers. And I have clients now who book celebrities with less than a thousand followers. So the number of followers isn't as important. It really is about your community. And do people know why they would come to you over someone else? Like, is your style so recognizable that your work could be on a mood board and someone would be like, that's why we booked you. We just want you to do that thing you did here. And that's why we're choosing you over anyone else. Yeah, that thing you did here, it really does apply regardless of industry because like whether it's a client result or a transformation or like a visual look or whatever, you being able to do something that people resonate with. And then once you get that feedback, the positive results that like this is the thing that makes them go from, oh, I've never met you before to like, maybe we should work together. Like doing more of whatever helped them make that step, regardless of what it is, is such a key piece of this. And I think you're so right on that the access to the type of clients, it does vary based on the kind of industry you're in. But keeping in mind, who do you actually need to be talking to? Because like you mentioned, going through a publicist to book celebrities, I think a lot of people assume... I got to make an impression to have XYZ celebrity notice me or like, you know, you see the videos out there where they're like, I'm going to tag blah, blah, blah every day (laughs) until they blah. Yeah. yeah. And like, (laughs) could you do the thing? Sure. But like, that's not necessarily how the majority of people are getting work. And so being mindful or what are the industry nuances? And so, you know, if it's my web design clients, I'm getting them direct from my website and other client work. But when we're talking about podcast advertising, I do have an agent. And like, I could go out and pitch other brands myself, but having an agent that has a bunch of connections makes my job easier. And I can just focus on the creative and the deliverables and not necessarily hunting down all the people to pitch all the time. And so, being mindful of what it is that you're trying to sell and how you're trying to get it out there. Who do you need to get in front of? It's not about impressing everybody. It's not about impressing the person that's at the top or the CEO or the celebrity or whatever. Who is making decisions? Who is making connections? Who is making the phone call? Who is going to be in the room being like, oh, you should hire blah, blah, blah. Like that's who you need to be making an impression with. I love that. And I'm so excited that you said they wanted more of this thing from me. And then you really leaned into it. Do you feel like once you got one, the rest sort of sprinkled in on their own? Or did you feel like you had to just keep creating more of that image? Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. 
Get unparalleled access to job seekers with over 350 million unique monthly visitors globally, according to Indeed data, and an extended reach through Glassdoor. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by seeing you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. I think it was like that laid the foundations of a direction for me to go in. So that gave me a very clear path of, okay, I know exactly what people are interested in. I know what they're excited about. And again, it felt in alignment with me. I think the next part was really thinking. And for me, it was very unconscious at the beginning was building a brand around my work as a makeup artist. I had a YouTube channel very early on, which for me ultimately was another way to express myself. It was another kind of element of playing creativity. But yes, I did see the way the industry was changing in in the fact that people were starting to look outside of having this 11 by 14 book. And people were like, okay, wait, if Instagram's now my portfolio, how else can I speed up the process? How else can I get myself into rooms that maybe before were closed off to me? Or again, there was more secrecy around how to get in them. So I think building a brand, like when I think back to my YouTube channel, again, I treated it like I was already a well-established makeup artist. I think a little bit of it is like the identity shift as well. And some people would call it fake it till you make it, but I think it was just me creating what I saw was coming. I really think I kind of had that decision of, no, I'm going to be a really successful makeup artist in the celebrity world, in the advertising world, in the beauty realm. And a big part of that was the mindset shift of like, okay, well, how would I show up if I already was that person? 
So when I think about my YouTube channel, I think I was calling myself a celebrity makeup artist probably before I was one. <laughs> like I had the identity already that that was coming and it created it. So I think again, like where can you lean into? Like how would you show up if you were already doing, if your brain believed that the things you wanted were a given, they're already like written in the stars, it's gonna happen. How would you show up? Because I think that gives you a huge advantage in terms of how people see you. Like I do think there is an element of people want to be sold to as well. Like people want to, like you were saying about looking for the photographer, like people are looking for you. Like I hear so many people say like, it's just quiet right now. No one's booking, you know, makeup artists. And I'm like, no, they're looking for you. But where are you doing your part? Like, how are you showing up with the belief that a hundred people are knocking at your door right now? You just need to open it. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And I think it's been a really big part of my story too. Like, because, you know, when I started this, it like my previous clients, we booked for 75 bucks. And then like less than six months later, I was selling websites for 10 grand. Like yeah. <laughs> I had to have some element of I am capable. I have the knowledge. I have the expertise. This is valuable because making that leap otherwise, like there was no element of I am going to get XYZ result and then believe it. Like I had to believe it first. And I don't tend to spend a ton of time on the mindset because I just think you should get in the element and then do the work. But I do think it makes such a huge impact because if you're constantly telling yourself, I need to be in X room to get Y or I have to impress this person to make this thing happen. No, you don't. <laughs> like, well, I mean, and it's the same. I think like, you know, I think about when you're being sold to, like if someone's saying, well, this is cool thing. And like, it could make you like this, but it might not work. Like as soon as someone starts yeah. like, downplaying their achievements or 100%. downplaying what they can give you, you're like, yeah. oh, okay, okay. Maybe they can't do it. Maybe I won't look how I want to look. Maybe I'm not going to feel like the best version of myself versus someone who's like, oh my goodness, let's go. You're going to look amazing. I'm so excited to work with you. And they're in the energy of like there to serve you again, from a place of being very in alignment with the same person's brand. But that energy is totally different. Like I know when I buy from people, I buy from people who are excited, who are passionate. Okay, I'm not looking for them to do things perfectly, but do they believe in what they're selling? <laughs> do they believe in their service? Are they like, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing for you. I can't wait for you to experience this. There's a very different energy. And I think the way people go all in comes from that versus someone who's Again, I think as creatives, it makes sense, right? Like we've been taught to downplay our success. So there's also that element of it. And that's why with my clients, I like to do the work around identity from a place of, okay, but no one can be you. Like for starters, no one can be you. Like being a creative, it, like I do think it's a superpower because when you're a creative, it's not just in how you do your service. It's also in how you run your business. Like creatives are so resourceful. I always say like, we're the original entrepreneurs <laughs> because we've had to go out and get a booking when we've needed one, right? There's no one to be like, here's your salary for the month. Here's your overtime. Here's whatever. Like we've had to show up for ourselves time and time again. And when you remember that, like you're unstoppable when you remember that, that you control your bookings. 
I think sometimes there is a little disconnect, though, between maybe you're feeling really good about yourself, but then you start to blame the algorithm or the software or the social for not allowing you to do X, Y, Z thing. I I know a lot of people have been like, is Instagram dead? Is like it going away? Like, I need to be on TikTok or this isn't going to work for me or whatever. And I've had to reopen up the possibilities of why do I assume this platform is no longer going to work or be accessible or generate capital or whatever, when it has been an incredible discovery tool. And I know you mentioned before we hopped on that Instagram specifically has made you more money than your agent. Like, and I don't think that's necessarily necessarily like a 10 years ago thing. Like that's still true today. And so what do you feel like is working right now to go from, you know, showing up to actually booking, to actually getting the client on social? Choose one platform. I think, like you said, it makes sense that we're kind of told, you've got to be on YouTube, you've got to be on TikTok. Like that drives a lot of pressure and I think makes people like burn out before they've even started, understandably. I would say choose one platform and build a really loyal community audience there because they will come with you if you do need to move to another platform. Like I saw that happen for me with YouTube. Like I've had times where I've kind of taken breaks from my YouTube channel and I've just told everyone, hey, I'm over on Instagram right now. Come hang out with me there. And people come when you've really built an audience who are invested in what you're talking about, what you're saying. So even like, I do believe a big part of what booked me those big bookings, those big clients and celebrities was people seeing how much people wanted to learn from me. Again, it was my community. And even when I say Instagram made me more money than my agent, it was because the brands came directly into my DMs. Like they weren't coming to my agent. They were like, and again, even there's been times when I've had agents and not had agents, but the difference was, again, I kind of really perfected my negotiating skills. That's also something I teach my clients. So I got to a point where I was like, wait, I can um, double what my agent would get me. And I'm getting the agency fee because a lot of creatives might not know this. But when you have an agent, you're paying yeah. your agency. They take a cut from you and, and they charge the client. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I have clients who are like, my agent's trying to take 35%. And I'm like, okay, wait, how much are they bringing you in each year? Because this doesn't, it's not adding up. The math isn't mathing. But again, I think choose one platform, like go all in on one platform versus being a little bit sporadic on multiple platforms. I think it's going to be more worthwhile for you as a creative, especially if this is new to you or you're looking to like come back to, okay, 2024 is the year I'm really going to build my creative freelance career. Choose one platform and think about like, again, not just what do you want to create and who you're trying to attract, but what would genuinely be helpful to your audience from the lens of those other two things. So for me as a makeup artist, I knew I wanted to do very kind of editorial inspired makeup. So wearable, but with little twists. So I spoke to my audience in a way that was like, who else wants this? Like I literally thought of it like, okay, who else is ready to join this party where this is what we're going to talk about? And then as those people were coming, like I just made more content around that. But I would always, I would always ask their opinion. I'll be like, okay, which one do you want to see over this one or this one? What are you needing help with that isn't resonating? So even the way I thought about my background, I'd create little series called Runway to Reality. Like I would make things where it was like, okay, even if you're a mom at home and you've seen Angelina Jolie and you love her makeup and you want to know what's like the 10 minute version of that, 
I'll show you. <laughs> so again, I was still making content that was speaking to my ideal client, i.e. the celebrities, but also the brands were like, oh my gosh, look how many people are commenting in her post. Look at the community she's building. We can sell to that community. And I also think the power of community means that your audience want to see you do well. Like that's been the most special thing for me as I've grown as an artist. My audience are the first ones to cheer me on. They're the first ones to be like, oh, I remember when you used to talk about this brand and you always used to say how much you love them and look, now they're sponsoring you. And, and again, they really kind of came along for the party versus me having to feel it was like, okay, hashtag ad <laughs> or being like a sort of unspoken thing in the room. It was like, no, I made my intentions very clear. And again, I think it comes back to the identity of like, I showed up from a place of this was going to be successful. But yeah, I think it starts with one platform and consistency isn't twice a week. I think that's the other thing a lot of people don't want to hear is they'll be like, well, I post consistently. And I'm like, yes, but if you post twice a week, every week, and again, when you think about the algorithm being ever changing, if the goal is for someone to find you, could they? Like if the goal is for someone to find you easily, could they? So I also think like, again, I love batching content. Like for me, batching content means that I'm not always on Instagram. Like I've made a really, what I consider quite a healthy relationship with Instagram where I make content, but I'm also repurposing content. So for every creative listening to this, open up your phone right now. I will put money on that your camera roll. There is tons of pictures of whether it's makeup you've done on people, whether it's things you've taken pictures of if you're a photographer. Like I have this phrase like reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> like when it comes to your content, if the goal is to work smarter, not harder, where can you use content you've already made and put your spin on it? Again, Instagram loves voiceover right now. There's so many ways, again, it comes back to our resourcefulness as creatives, using things you already have to get yourself in front of the right people. Yeah, and I think in the same way that like if you're using that same image, the same video, like if something works on social like, and it's getting traction, how can you do more of that? Is it a point of view reel and you need to do more point of view reels? Is it, you know, you talking about your story in a certain way and you're reusing a lot of copy or retelling the same story, but like using new words, you have so much more at your fingertips where you just, you have to look at the analytics. You have to look at what's drawing people in and making a big difference. And I get that, you know, ultimately we're creative. And so it's really easy to be like excited in all these different directions and neurodivergency does not help that. I would imagine the majority of us listening, if you're a creative, you're likely also neurodivergent. I've met very few people that aren't and that can make for a chaotic working environment sometimes. So how have you, as someone you has that identifies as neurodivergent, been able to balance the like excitement that pulls you in all the different ways with the like groundedness of here's where I need to be executing and paying attention such a good question I think for me when I think about like productivity for example there can be this right way rhetoric of like here's the right way to be productive here's the right way to do things so for example someone might say you have to time block in your calendar you have to do this but I think especially as someone who's neurodivergent I've learned to 
think of what works for me as like a toolbox. Like what do I need today might be different to what I need tomorrow. So when I think about my energy as well, like I have very much like a sprinter energy. So I can like do a lot very quickly, but then I need time off. Like I need to be like, okay, I'm not going to make anything now for a week. Now I could be mad at that and be like, no, I need to be someone who gets up at 5am every morning and do 30 minutes before 9am. But if it's not working for me, why would I force it? So I think there's a lot to do with like, where can you own your energy type? I remember I had a client who was a writer and she was like, oh my gosh, every time I have a big assignment, like I leave it to the very last minute. And I was like, okay, but is the client happy? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, do you like the work you're making? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, so what if you just do your best work last minute? What if you plan to be a last minute person? (laughs) So now she was like, oh my gosh, I just need to make sure the two days before my deadline's due, I make sure I don't do anything those two days. And the biggest thing that was causing her pain was the judgment around it. It was 100%. Like, oh, it's, it's the judgment terrible. and the shame yeah. and the whatever. It's not the that you don't actually know. I think so often we do know what works for us and we're resistant to it because we think it's not the norm or it's not what we're supposed to do or should do or whatever. And, you know, I've read, we've all read the, we've all read them (laughs) and other books like that. Like, Oh, this is going to unlock some. No, I am never a a. 5am girly. I am not going to run before the sun is up. Like, it's just not who I am. I'm also kind of a slow starter. Like, not that I'm a slow starter in work. I'm a slow starter for the day. Like I'm, I'm pretty much useless until after 10 a.m. But my best work, unfortunately, I really hate this about myself sometimes, is after 9.30 p.m. because everything's <laughs> dark and quiet and I can think and no one's interrupting me and I'm not getting emails, I'm not getting Slack messages. And like, I could continue to be upset about that or I could be like, maybe I need to be better about taking time during the day to just be and live and whatever and embrace when I'm going to be my best self. And like paying attention to that energy specifically, I think is so key, especially if this is something you struggle with and releasing that shame for you. Where were you holding the shame and like what helped you let go? Well, for me, I have Tourette's and OCD. So in the physical sense, like my Tourette's is very physical. Like even you'll see as we're doing this podcast, like my coughing isn't a real cough. It's part of my Tourette's. So I think for me, I did a lot of nervous system work really helped me in terms of being able to show up publicly and not worry about comments in whether it's YouTube comments or DMs or whatever. And I also think being able to, like what you said, lean into my energy type. So my OCD, my default is to be very all or nothing. (laughs) So again, like if I'm not getting up at 5am, I failed, I've done it wrong. Like that's how my brain can go. But I think it's like, again, I spent a lot of time wanting to get to know those parts of me and to understand it. So yes, there was support I got myself in like a mental health capacity. But I also think, again, really coming back to like, what is the life I'm trying to create for myself if I'm not comparing it to anyone else, given that those things are going to be a part of my journey. They definitely don't define who I am, but they are things that I take into consideration. So when I'm filming, I know it might take me longer to film. I know I might have to stop, start a few times because of my Tourette's. I know when my brain is being very all or nothing or my OCD is very active that 
I might just need more rest the next day. Like even my brain can make me physically tired. <laughs> and I think that was something, again, I used to beat myself up for because I'd be like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't do this. Or I should be able to like notice all the shoulds, everyone. Like that was a big part of my internal dialogue. And again, I know it sounds very Pinterest quotey, but I do think like, where can you just have more compassion for yourself, especially if you are neurodivergent? Like, where are you going to need, whether it's more support, a bigger toolbox, and a mix of options for you to choose from to be able to help yourself as good, as well as you can. And just, again, have some compassion for yourself. Like, I spent a lot of time in my teenage years, my early 20s, being mad at myself, <laughs> versus now I think there's so much of it where I'm like look how well you've done given we had those things like look how well we've done with everything we've had to go through and you know I also think like my creativity is also a part of those things like I can't like I sometimes think well if I didn't have those things what would I lose also it's a little bit like learning to embrace it all and that doesn't mean that some days yes it is frustrating yes it is hard but I think I prioritize my support system and my mental health as much as I do my work. Like if I burn out, there is no business. A hundred percent. And I really want to lean into that. Like this isn't just about respecting your energy or like dropping the shame. Like some of this is straight up about accommodating the person that you are. And I think accommodations are talked about in the corporate world in some sense of like, you know, you need a chair if you're a checkout line person or whatever. But we don't necessarily do these things or think about them in our own business. Like, what do you need your physical environment to be like? How are you going to feel your best both in your work and in your life? What does it look like to respond to your physical limitations, not just your mental ones? And there is just so many people out there trying to do things the way they think neurotypical people do or should or are. And, you know, even though I don't really know any neurotypical people, <laughs> truly, I, I think I have an idea in my mind of what they're like, of what they're supposed to be doing or how they're supposed to be showing up. And I could get mad that I worked on my laptop in a recliner for three years following my traumatic brain injury, or I could be like, no, I made a reasonable accommodation so I could show up in a way that I was able to serve my clients. You know, we have our own stories and our own things that make us who we are, and they can also be a really powerful asset. Well, thank you so much, Harry. This has been so fun. I know we've been kind of all over the gamut today, but I've you know, it. that's just how <laughs> I am and how I show up. So it is what it is. But I know people are going to want to hang out with you more online. So where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? I would love that. And I've had so much fun today. Thank you. Come hang out with me. Come say hi. I'm at Freelance for Freedom. That's on Instagram. Or you can come see all my details are at www.harrietheadfield.com. Because like I said, I do the content creation. I do the coaching. I do the makeup. I do a little bit of everything. But come say hi. Would love to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. 
Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.